You're listening to Church on the Path Inspiration Podcast. Brought to you by Holy Fire. And broadcasting from the heart of Brisbane City, Australia. Speaking today is Pastor Glenn Gerhauser. Today's message is entitled, The Paradox of Happiness. And I'm going to be talking about the theme of happiness and the Beatitudes. And this is number four in the people of God. So number four in the people of God, the paradox of happiness. I'm going to pray and then I'll lead you in a prayer. Father, I'm asking that you would reveal to us your heart and that we would really know the joy of the Lord and how blessed it is to be your kingdom citizens and your children. Give me the grace to share what you want me to share. Let it come alive to us and let it kickstart something that goes into December and January. We give you the praise and the glory and the honor. Amen. Amen, because we're going to have a community project in December and January, so I'll talk about that uh, soon. Uh, so I'm hoping that today kickstarts something. We'll, if, we, uh, if you could put your hands on your hearts, please, and say this nice and loud with me. Dear Jesus, speak to my heart and change my life. In your precious name, amen. All right, before I begin, congratulations to Gatti for graduating. <laughs> so she's finished school, and now she has a lot before her, and uh, we're very proud of the young woman you have become. Um, and we also, it's... Uh, Diane's birthday today, so she's probably not online. She may hear this later, so happy birthday, Diane. We had Peter's 40th birthday on Wednesday, and we really surprised him. Uh, the, the whole old crew was there, and all of them. And the, yes, yes, Christina helped organize that. And then we had Chris, it's been an eventful, eventful week. We had Chris and Irene get married uh, yesterday. So it's been a big time for our congregation, and we thank God for it all. So again, the paradox of happiness. Let's, let's get into this. The first of the Beatitudes, this is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. So last week we talked about the Sermon on the mount, and this is how the Sermon on the Mount begins. Jesus says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So that begins the Beatitudes. Jesus 
opens the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. That's how the Sermon on the Mount opens with the Beatitudes. We'll talk soon about what these Beatitudes are and how to understand them. But this is how the Sermon on the Mount opens. This is a picture from what is believed to be where Jesus spoke the Sermon on the Mount, and that's the Sea of Galilee in the background. Understanding the first beatitude is the key to unlocking the whole Sermon on the Mount. And it's the key to living what Jesus says. Understanding the first beatitude is the key to unlocking the whole Sermon on the Mount. So we'll talk about that uh, beatitude, but I'm going to be talking about the whole beatitudes as a whole, and I'm going to leave it to next week, Anna is going to be sharing a bit more on that first beatitude. But we'll, we'll touch on it today. And one of the things that poor in spirit means, and primarily what it means, is humility. Blessed are the, and we can translate it like this, blessed are the humble, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The attitude of humility is the only way you can live the kingdom life. The attitude of humility. What's that attitude look like? It says, like, God, I need help. This, <laughs> this mountain is too hard to climb. And we're talking about the Sermon on the Mount. Living it is way beyond me. To live in, in forgiveness and to live with a heart of love and to be a light to the world. This is way beyond me. I need you, Lord. That's really what that, this first beatitude is about, this dependence on God, this need for God, even at times a desperation for Jesus. I need you, Jesus. And this is what it means to be poor in spirit. The attitude of humility is the only way you can live the kingdom life. And this is, brings us to prayer. Uh, when we read the word, it should always drive us to prayer. So we read it, but we cannot fulfill the word of God, and we cannot live up to its standard on our own strength. We need God, and we need to say, Lord, I need you. I need your help. Give me the strength. I need uh, an infilling of your spirit so that I can put it into practice, so I can live it out. The opposite of Matthew 5.3 is miserable are the proud ones, for theirs is the kingdom of this world. So if we were to take this beatitude, the first one, and make it exactly opposite, we would come up with something like this. Miserable are the proud ones, for theirs is the kingdom of this world. So Jesus is beginning us with humility, with that dependence, with that need, I don't have it here, but maybe Anna will talk about it more next week. David is constantly saying in the Psalms, there's a, quite a few times, he says, I am poor and needy. I am poor and needy. And that was really the attitude of David when he was uh, seeking the Lord. I am poor. I'm needy. I need you. And he, he maintained that attitude even when he was king. But when he fell from that attitude, that's when he fell from fell from, 
the uh, heights that the Lord had brought him to, that's when he fell into sin. And so it's humility that really is the foundation for the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. And so here is late the, uh, my latest infographic. And it's, I, sh I shared this last week, but I put it in a visual form. Now, this thing is important to know because it will uh, launch us into our community project. Now, what's the community project that we're going to have in December and January, if you are willing, <laughs> is I want as many people as possible in the community to share different devotions from the Sermon on the Mount. So next week, Anna, was so, and so you need to know the structure well, and it may be some people will be in uh, on number one, number two, uh, part one, part two, part three, part four, part five, and so there'll be a couple of Sundays where we have off, um, and they, you may do a, a video devotion of your part, and so I'm going to ask I don't want to get too much in the organization of this. I want to get right back into sharing the word. But I'm going to ask Anna and Fran to help me with coordinating this. And if you are willing to be a part, you can be a part. Definitely want the graduates of Bible school to be a part. But it's open to anyone to share different devotions. And I'll share uh, some ground rules, too. Next week, Anna's going to be kicking us off. Woohoo! <laughs> so this is what the Lord put on my heart for this coming, coming season. Uh, one, number one, understanding the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is the constitution of the kingdom. So number one, the first part, Matthew 5, 1 through 16, is all about the people of the kingdom. And this is where the Beatitudes are. And then after the Beatitudes, Jesus says... And I'll zoom in here. In the same way, let, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And then part two is Matthew 5, 17 through 48, and that's the purpose of the kingdom. And we see the purpose of the kingdom in this statement when Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Then we go on to part three, the priorities of the kingdom. And this is Matthew chapter 6, 1 through 34. And this is summed up beautifully in Matthew 6, 33, when Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And then... Four, the practice of the kingdom is found in Matthew 7, 1 through 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. And lastly, lastly Jesus paints the picture of the pathway of the kingdom and two pathways before us. Matthew 7, 13 through 27, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. So that's Matthew 7, 13 through 14. So this is a, gives you the structure of the Sermon on the Mount so that you can understand it. So understanding the structure 
is so important to understanding what Jesus is saying, and it makes things clearer. Of course, there's much more in there. That's a summary. So here again, at that area of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is believed to have spoken it. And the question before us is this, what are the Beatitudes? What are the Beatitudes? So let's answer this. What are the Beatitudes? The Beatitudes are a series of nine thought-provoking, not thought-proving, thought-provoking. <laughs> the Beatitudes are a series of nine thought-provoking statements in which Jesus poetically describes God's people. So the Beatitudes are a series of nine thought-provoking statements in which Jesus poetically describes God's people. Beginning in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, and concluding in verse 12, Jesus paints a picture of who, uh, of, sorry, Jesus paints a picture of a people who are humble, broken, and meek, and yet transcendently happy. Well, let me read that one again, and then I'm going to read some more of this, the Beatitudes. So beginning in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, and concluding in verse 12, Jesus paints a picture of a people who are humble, broken, and meek, and yet transcendently happy. So we're going to see very soon, and I've said this before, that the word blessed can be translated as happy. And some of the newer translations are choosing the word happy. Some are choosing the word blessed. There's nothing wrong with either word. Just that you would understand to be blessed is to be, uh, is to be blessed is to have a happiness that comes from God. And in the Bible, there's two words that, uh, that blessed comes from. Like, for example, there is the blessed of divine empowerment the blessing of divine empowerment, which is another word in the Hebrew uh, and another word in the Greek as well. And then there's the blessed of the happiness that comes when you are living obedient to God. That's another word. Uh, but in English, uh, it's the same word, blessed. So we need to be aware that there's two concepts of blessed in Scripture and one being a divine empowerment, the other being a happiness that comes from God because you're living in his way. And so let me read this here, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So that is 
all of the Beatitudes. And one of the things I want us to keep in mind before we move on here is the genre of the Beatitudes. The genre of the Beatitudes is wisdom literature. And it also comes from Hebrew poetry. Of course, this is the Greek because we're in the New Testament, but its roots are in the wisdom literature of the Old Testament and Hebrew poetry. And so when you come, so every genre is interpreted uh, uniquely. And when you come to this genre, it's not automatically that it happens. In other words, when it says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted, it, it, it's, it's poetry and it's a saying of wisdom. It doesn't mean that if you mourn, you definitely will be comforted. Uh, it's not a law. Like if you, do, if you have this happen, then this will certainly happen. That is not, so to interpret the Beatitudes correctly, we have to understand that this applies to those who seek God for comfort. So blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted if they're seeking the Lord for comfort. It's very much like when Jesus says, ask me whatever you will and it will be given to you. He's not saying, you know, if you ask for something sinful that it's going to be given to you. Uh, he's telling us to ask according to God's will. And so this, so we need to understand that God comforts those who come to him. So he will comfort you if you come to him, but you need to come to him. You need to have that attitude of humility. And that's what being poor in spirit is, is that you come to the Lord. And then we're promised there is the king, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Moving forward here. Happiness is the hallmark of heaven's citizens. Happiness is the hallmark of heaven's citizens. So if we read some of these again. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Happy are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Happy are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now we'll stop there, but you get the point. Happiness is the hallmark of heaven's citizens. Now, where does the word Hallmark come from? It's not just the Christmas movies <laughs> from Hallmark, right? Hallmark comes from in England when gold was approved or silver was approved. There was a goldsmith called Hall. And if you had the Hallmark, it was meant that it was genuine. It was true. So this, the Hallmark is like a genuine stamp of something. And happiness is the hallmark of heaven's citizens. And Jesus begins with happiness. It's just like the same uh, thing is said as Psalms begin, Psalm 1. And it talks about blessed is the man who does not walk and, and the ways of the world, uh, paraphrasing. And then that's how Psalm 119 also starts with blessed, happy, so happiness is the hallmark of heaven's citizens. The word blessed or happy begins each of the Beatitudes' nine sayings. Through the Beatitudes, Jesus emphasizes the joy and satisfaction that comes when you are God's child living under his lordship. Now this is important. The blessedness 
The happiness is for is, is a description of those who are God's child or God's children living under his lordship. So it's a happiness of being God's child and living under his lordship. And Jesus is saying, if you live the kingdom way, that narrow way, that pathway, you'll have joy, you'll have satisfaction, you'll have real happiness that comes from God rather than the false stuff that just fades away. Are you with me here? And he's not saying that you're always going to feel good. Like, for example, mourning is included in there. You will have mourning. You will have pain. There will be suffering. But there's this transcendent happiness that comes as you experience God in all these things. And the, it's really calling us to experience God, to experience his kingdom, to experience his comfort, uh, to experience him, his gifts, his righteousness, his mercy, and seeing him. Wow, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, let me say here that it's not just for the future. That's how traditionally a lot of times in a church, it was like, oh, it's for one day in heaven. No, it's for right now. And it's for one day too. It's also for, it's a great hope where everything is consummated. But it's for today. It's for right now. We get to experience the kingdom now. That's why Jesus came, so that we could experience the kingdom now. We could be born again and see the kingdom not just in the by and by, but in this life. Here is a word. This, I do this at Bible school, uh, many of you know, is a word study. And I won't go into depth here, but this is the word here used in the Greek is makarios, makarios. And makarios is repeated over and over, makarioi, it's uh, repeated over and over in the Greek here. And what does it mean? Uh, like, I'll zoom in here, it means happy, divinely made happy. And uh, it comes from the classical Greek. Uh, it denotes the transcendent happiness of a life beyond care, labor, and death. That comes from the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament. So the idea in the Greek was that this transcendent happiness of a life beyond care, labor, and death. And then it becomes the leading phil philosophical term for inner happiness. And it's a happiness that despite everything, it's, it's above all. So this word can be translated as happy, happier, fortunate, privileged. We are privileged. Uh, that's a bad, that's, you know, today people don't like this word privilege. Oh, you're privileged. I'm not privileged. But <laughs> I said this before, but as Christians, we are privileged. We are privileged. We are blessed. We have access to the kingdom. So that's a great, uh, great joy for us. <coughs> It means being blessed. Uh, Greek-Roman perspective is one whom fortune smiles on. Uh, the Hebrew, though, is especially what the roots of this word 
that Jesus is using is Ashray, Ashray. And you have like Asher, Asher, that's uh, Valerie's middle name is Asher. Sometimes in the Bible it's male, but also in the Australian culture you often hear Asher as a female name. It means happy, blessed. And she is some happy girl. <laughs> You're a great testimony of that name, Valerie, and I love you so much. Uh, Ashray. So this is how Psalms begins with this word, Ashray. And Ashray means blessed, happy, joyful. Uh, it's, in, the, in the Hebrew, it's a sense of striding forward. Uh, moving forward, making progress, and the feelings that accompany moving forward and making progress. And you'll find it in Deuteronomy 33, 29, Psalm 1, 1, Psalm 119, 1, Isaiah 30, 18, and a lot of places you'll find Ashrei. And that is the ultimate root of Makarios when Jesus is speaking. It could also mean here favored by God, full and satisfied, so Full and satisfied are the poor in spirit, for there, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, some even have said, like Eugene Peterson, I really like Eugene Peterson, but I don't always agree with everything he says, but he translates it as lucky. And some people can understand that. Now, some Christians don't like the word luck because it has to do with the fortune. I, I wouldn't choose the word luck, but he, he goes and translates it something like this. Lucky are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Lucky are those who, are, who mourn, for they will be comforted. So there's a, that's just a bit of a sense of the word. So I'd like to give you a sense of the word. How are we going? Good. Yeah, we're doing good here. Let's move forward. The Beatitudes teach us that the happiness of God's children is a paradox. Our joy doesn't come from favorable circumstances, but from living under Jesus' lordship. Did you hear? Now, this is where we're getting to the crux of the matter here. The Beatitudes teach us that the happiness of God's children is a paradox. We... Yeah, there's the paradox right flying in front of us, the, the ibis. For those who are listening on, a big ibis is flying around us. Because <laughs> we're in this uh, pavilion right on the park here at Milton State School. So everything's happening. We've got a jumping castle with the kids there, kids in the playground. But good to see life in the park after the floods. Very good to see life in the park after, after the floods. So again, the Beatitudes teach us that the happiness of God's children is a paradox. Our joy doesn't come from favorable circumstances, but from living under Jesus' lordship. A lot of things that Jesus is saying here, if not all the things, are tough things. They are, these are things that normally we don't think of as happy. We don't think of being poor as happy, do we? And the idea also of poor is it's of being in... If you're bringing it back to the Hebrew, ani is the, the affliction, affliction, and, and the humility that comes through affliction. And here we have poor, we don't see that as being happy. Mourning, we don't see that as being happy. Meek, we usually see that as somebody being taken advantage of. We don't see that as happy. Hunger and thirst, we don't see that as blessed. Uh, merciful, you know, we don't want to be merciful. We want to kind of hold on to unforgiveness. 
pure in heart. Peacemakers. And then at the end, persecuted. Happy are those who are persecuted. The, the wonderful thing you read in the early church is when you read the stories of the martyrs, you find that the, the martyrs are all excited about being martyred. Yes, I get this great privilege of being martyred for Jesus. And it's a different attitude, but they were excited. It was like, poof, this is the fulfillment of my faith. And this is, as you read, the foxes... Living the dream, Fox's Book of Martyrs. But modern Christians don't think like that. They're not like rejoicing in persecution. I'm not always rejoicing in persecution either. I'm like, oh. But Lord, help me. I'm going to the Lord. Lord, help me. Give me the grace. Give me the strength. Work this for your glory. So our joy doesn't come from favorable circumstances and everything in life is not easy. But when we're living under the lordship of Jesus, Jesus transforms us and gives us a great strength inside and inner strength and the happiness that transcends over the pain. We possess a transcendent, <laughs> we possess a transcendent joy. We possess a transcendent joy because the kingdom of heaven is ours. Did you hear that? The kingdom of heaven is ours. And it's not just ours in the future, like I was saying before, but in the present. We are dual citizens. And the kingdom is active in our lives right now. That's what gives us joy, is this dual citizenship and knowing that our citizenship in heaven is so much more important than even our citizenship on earth. It's good to have citizenship on earth. I have dual citizenship. I'm an American citizen. I also chose to become an Australian citizen because my, my heart's here in Australia. I'm Ozzy Az, ain't, ain't I? <laughs> uh, that was a bit of sarcasm there. <laughs> but I have, I have a heart. Australia. Let me just say, too, my job is to train you up. You are probably going to be more effective at reaching. You will definitely. Let me say this. You will be definitely more effective at reaching Aussies than I am. You know, I'm here to train you up so that you can reach them. And, of course, Peter has been so effective in reaching people in his culture, and he has a heart. For the Polynesians, he doesn't just reach people in his culture. He goes beyond that, but he has a, an amazing ability to do that. And I can't do that. Uh, I can't reach the people that Fran will reach or Yushi will reach or Andrew. He's a little bit of a dual citizen with America and or well, triple citizen, right? Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'm. Um, he, you know, he's in America. What I'm saying is he's like that in that he's in America, England, uh, Australia, and, um, and God's kingdom. And that, that's the thing is that God's kingdom is the most important thing. God's kingdom is the most important thing. We're meant to bring the kingdom here into the kingdoms of this world. So we are dual citizens and the kingdom is active in our lives right now, and that's what gives us joy. If the kingdom was just imaginary, there's no joy. But the kingdom is real and present and active, and this is what gives us this transcendent joy 
over everything. The paradox of happiness is this. Pursue happiness and you'll be unhappy. (laughs) Are you hearing me here? Pursue happiness and you'll be unhappy. But pursue God's kingdom and what is right in his eyes and you'll be happy. Again, Matthew, going back to Matthew 6.33. The joy, sorry, joy is the fruit of the Spirit's activity in your life. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit's activity in your life. So when you have the Spirit moving and working and filling you, there is joy. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. goes on, Lena will be able to tell you each one of those fruit. <laughs> um, but pursue God's kingdom. We know the American Constitution starts off with this life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's the American Constitution. I would say the Kingdom Constitution is more like life, liberty, and the pursuit of the kingdom. The pursuit of the kingdom. And then that brings happiness, the pursuit of the kingdom. The paradox of happiness is this. Pursue happiness, you'll be unhappy. But pursue God's kingdom and also doing, doing what is right in his eyes. Doing what is right in his eyes. So if you want to get out of the slump you're in, do the works of the kingdom. Spend time with God, intimacy with God, and then do the works of the kingdom, and you'll watch. There'll be a great joy that comes into your heart, and there'll be a happiness that comes from, comes from the Lord. Coming close to an end here. I learned from our recent study in the Song of Songs that joy finds its fountain in love. Joy finds its fountain in love. Song of Songs burst with joy because the bride has discovered that her bridegroom's love is better than wine. And you'll find that in Song of Songs 1, 1 through 4. So that love relationship that the bride has with her bridegroom gives her So much joy, and that joy pervades the pages of Song of Songs. Though there is some sorrow there when she is missing the bridegroom and she has to search and there's pain there. But overall, the overarching uh, theme and story of Song of Songs has to do with this great joy that the bride has in the bridegroom and the bridegroom and the bridegroom has in the bride. And it comes from love. It comes from that relationship of intimacy and love. And next next semester, which will be the first, we'll start the first uh, Sunday, I'm sorry, the first Monday, the first Monday in February. You can check it out soon. BrisbaneFire.com. You'll be able to go to the Holy Fire Ministry Training School page. We're going to continue on this theme of intimacy as we go into the Gospels and The unit is going to be called the Father's Heart Unit. The Father's Heart Unit. So pray for that. I I feel excited about that. We may also still work through some of the Song of Songs poems that we didn't. I'm just, uh, you know, praying about it all right now. But that's that's where we're going in the, the revelation of the Father's Heart. The Father's Heart. I I felt that we can't get off this theme of intimacy 
and love. It's such an important one. It's so transformative. Many Christians are drawn to negativity. Now, we're coming to an end very soon. Many Christians are drawn to negativity, darkness, suffering, and judgment. So they think, if they're thinking all about darkness, suffering, and judgment, and preaching on all those things, they think that they're spiritual, and they're more sober-minded than others, and all the other churches backslidden, but we are the ones that are uh, preaching the true message of darkness, suffering, and judgment. Have you ever heard this attitude before? Are you here? Are you listening? Many Christians are drawn to negativity, darkness, suffering, and judgment. Some delight in seeing others experiencing pain and misfortune because they're getting what they deserve. Now, this is, runs totally opposite to the Sermon on the Mount because the Sermon on the Mount is teaching us about mercy and grace and not judging others. But we have to be careful that we're not moving into the flesh when we're starting to think about subjects like darkness, suffering, and judgment, which are part of Scripture, but you're going to have to understand the whole context of these things. And what happens is people start delighting in seeing uh, the world go through painful things. Uh, they're getting what they deserve. That kind of attitude. And this is not a good attitude to have. Jesus teaches us that though trouble is a part of life, it does not triumph over God's children. So yes, there's darkness in our life. Yes, there's suffering. Yes, the whole world is under the judgment and wrath of God. Those things are true. But... We triumph as God's children over those things. There's something more than those things. And when you see, for example, Paul talking about suffering, he says, I want to know him. The power of his resurrection, that's first. I want to know him, the power of his resurrection. Then he says the fellowship of his sufferings, very important, but notice the context. And then he says attaining so that I may somehow attain to the resurrection of the dead. So the, the suffering is encased in resurrection before and after. Are you with me? So resurrection, life, that is what it means to be a Christian. And the suffering is swallowed up with resurrection life. It helps the, the resurrection life of Jesus enables us to live with joy in the midst of pain and suffering. But we can, if we get uh, in the flesh, we can get drawn and all we're looking at is the suffering. Oh, woe is me. How bad it is. Oh, I'm carrying my cross. But the, <laughs> carrying your cross is always with the joy set before us. Jesus, it talks about Jesus, who for the joy set before him carried his cross. Now, the reason why I mention this is I see so many uh, Christians falling into this trap of darkness, suffering, and judgment, and they're all focused on that. And, and sometimes then they gravitate towards certain passages in the prophets, but they don't realize that the prophets' all, overall message is hope and restoration. It's all about hope and restoration. And so, yes, God hates sin. God hates sin, and there is wrath. 
And uh, we all need to escape from the wrath of God by putting our faith in Jesus. That is true, but we should not be camping. We should not be camping. Uh, my New York accent came out without leaving off the G at the end there. Camping or camping? <laughs> we shouldn't be camping. And the, uh, we shouldn't be camping in Sodom and Gomorrah when the hailstones are coming down. We should be following the angel, taking us in their hands. And here, this sums it up. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So James 2.13 really sums up the message of the good news. And this is also found in the Old Testament too. So it's not just a New Testament thing. It's an Old Testament thing. But really sums up the law and the prophets. Because in the law, yes, you, you committed adultery. You were meant to get stoned. But also in the law was the provision of sacrifices for your sin and the blood atonement. So there was something more in the law than judgment. There was also the mercy and the substitute of the sacrifices, which is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So again, a good, a good summary of what it means to be in the gospel is mercy triumphs over judgment. And this is why Jesus died on the cross. Do you hear this? Are you with me? Mercy triumphs over judgment. This also is something we need to embody. And this is what the Sermon on the Mount is about. We need to embody mercy. You think I want to be merciful to all the people who did wrong to me and kind of left me in, uh, I feel like Paul sometimes. They all forsook me and fled. <laughs> Maybe Peter feels like that. Two, you think that I want to be merciful? Not necessarily in myself, right? But I believe in God's kingdom. God's kingdom is a kingdom of mercy and grace and love. Mercy triumphs over judgment in our lives, but also the Lord wants us to embody that whole way. So this brings us to our last verse here where we started. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And then I made some additions here to help explain what poor in spirit means. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the humble, needy, and afflicted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the humble, needy, and afflicted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So right now, Lord, we, we come to you in prayer. We come to you and we're asking, we're asking you for great grace in our life. That these things are beyond us. That many of us are mourning or in pain being insulted or persecuted or forsaken. But these things are not going to define us as God's people. 
we declare and we believe that we are blessed. Thank you that according to your word, we are blessed. Jesus, you have blessed us. You have made us happy because we have the kingdom of God. We have the resources of heaven. We have your comfort. We get to see you in the eyes of our heart. We get to experience your mercy. Thank you for these beatitudes. Thank you for the truths that they reveal to us. And I'm praying that as a congregation, we would experience these things and we would embody the Sermon on the Mount and the Law and the Prophets as you have always intended. That's your purpose for the kingdom. I'm praying, Father, that we would know that great transcendent joy now and this week and continually and constantly. What a privilege, Father, it is to be a part of your kingdom. What a joy it is to be your child. Thank you, Lord, for the great joy it is. Help us to think and have an attitude that is more in line with you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I'm going, to, I'm going to have Anna lead us in a song. But before that, I just want to, we've been doing this, I, is pray for the tithes and offerings at the end. And the tithes and offerings are important because the tithes are how the whole church operates and runs. And, uh, and if you want to give, if you're online and you want to give, brisbanefire.com and the give page, and we could use some more people to join us in giving and helping and blessing the ministry. So I'm going to pray for all of your finances. And good to hear stories of jobs and people getting jobs and good jobs. And Lena's new job, hallelujah. And got Caleb's new job. And it's good to see these blessings too. So Father, here we are. And we're offering our tithes and offerings to you that you would be honored with our giving, that we would be generous in our giving, that we would give out of love, and that your house would be blessed and every need would be, made, uh, would be met. Every need would be met according to your riches, Lord, the kingdom of heaven. So, Lord, let there be a blessing on our finances, and we trust in you to sustain us, even though we are poor and needy. As a fellowship, we thank you for your abundance and the kingdom of heaven that is available to us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So I'm just going to switch this here.
Standing here, I'm standing here. 